Welcome to the NDA podcast. We're here to challenge topics the industry has been keeping under waiver for years. Unfiltered conversation with no fear of being cancelled. Bringing creatives of different levels, different backgrounds and very different opinions together. Debating the issues we only dare discuss over our Twitter DMs. So get ready for some honesty because we're about to break all the NDAs. Hi team, so thanks for tuning in this week. The last few episodes have had a really good reaction, like tons of online discourse, which I've just been loving reading. So I can't wait to hear thoughts on this week's topic. Make sure you send them in to us. We're at the NDA podcast on Twitter and Insta. Leave a review with what you think, all that good stuff. The title this week might be a little bit ambiguous. This episode is called Walk Like a Man. So we're going to be talking about what it's like to be a woman or anyone who identifies that way in the creative industry, but really specifically how to reach the top or how they've reached the top, what people might be sacrificing to get there, how authentically we're actually leading and how women help other women to get to the top as well. So super interesting, lots to cover. Um, I don't really need to be here this week. The guests have so much Uh, experience and insight to share. So we're going to have a really candid conversation about the things that we've seen in studios, in the meeting rooms, and also in, in ourselves and in themselves. We need maximum chatting time today, so I'm not going to go on too long. If everyone can jump in and introduce yourselves, Katie, if you could kick us off. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm Katie. I'm the founding editor of Creative Boom. It's one of the UK's leading publications and communities for the creative industry. Um, I previously ran a PR and marketing agency for around 11 years and only in the last two years have um, dedicated my full-time focus on my platform. So um, I have my entire career and life walked like a man, I suppose, but it's only really occurred to me recently that that's what I've been doing this whole time. Um, You know, watering myself down, dressing a certain way, not to attract attention, unwanted attention. Um, Although that sounds really egotistical, but you know what I mean? You you just want to sort of be taken seriously and professionally. And sadly, I think I've had my head in the sand a little bit, tried to ignore the subconscious um, known in the back of my mind what's going on out there and how um, being a woman impacts my career and and being taken seriously. And so this is all very raw and new to me. So I'm looking forward to talking about this today. Great stuff. So I'm Rebecca Harrison. So currently I'm the creative director of Love Blood Creative. So we're a global creative production agency and artist representation. Um, I work in there with a brilliant founder, Bronna Wedderburn, so we're a female-led agency. Um, Before that, in my old life, I was a design director at Brandwatch, a global technology business, and I head up the design department there. So I've had a lot of experience growing teams, nurturing people, growing them in their career, and trying to find a path through for myself, as well as helping others upwards. Um, I'm a mentor for Kerning the Gap, the Northwest chapter, which helps young women coming into industry, find their path, find their feet and find their own voice into a position of leadership in the industry. Um, This subject for me is quite an interesting one because I feel like I, and I've only just recognized this in the last two years, I would say, I lost myself on the way to leadership. So I found my identity very much changing and the way that I presented myself as a woman, the way I was brought up as a woman, I lost that and I changed that. So I think it's going to be very interesting to dig into that and hear other people's perspectives and see how they have kind of found themselves again or are on the way to finding themselves again through learning from others. Thank you so much for having me as well. I am, uh, my name is Livia Lima. I, um, yeah, I think like I have a a pretty kind of diverse um, career path. I have um, started two design companies. I have... Um, started a, a cocktail bar, um, craft soda factory, and like more more traditionally, I have uh, worked in design studios in London, New York, Sydney, um, Auckland, and uh, I also like the the things that I'm really passionate in design. I, I teach um, design in a in a university um, in Sydney. That's where I'm based for um, six years, and uh, I also 
uh, I'm, I'm really quite passionate about my, my research practice, which um, revolves around the consequences of graphic design imperialism, um, also like looking at design and um, economics and um, the, this idea of redesigning value. So I work in like many helms, I guess, like um, academically, but also um, commercially. And yeah, my style of leadership is really nurturing um, and encouraging. And I guess like empathy and soft skills is something that like I'm quite happy to, to have in my personality. And it's stuff that not always, um, yeah, it's not always valued. And I had to stand my ground um, a couple of times to, yeah, to really say this is this is how I want to lead and I'm not um, willing to compromise, I guess. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jack Rennick. I've been running a studio for the past 10 years. It's called Jack Rennick Studio. People always expect a man is going to turn up and expect the work is done by a man and are always uh, pretty surprised and often horrified that it's actually a woman that's behind it. <laughs> so um, I've been dealing with this my entire life. <laughs> Perfect. So I'm Katie Cadwell. My pronouns are she, her, which obviously indicates that I identify as a woman too. And being at director level, I've got a little bit of experience. But like always, I'll kind of stay impartial, acting on behalf of our listeners and some of the stories that I've heard in the DMs and asking some of those challenging questions and kind of holding up a bit of a mirror today, I think. I'd like to just quickly caveat before we get into questions. Gender is obviously expanding, so brilliantly nuanced. There'll, there'll be words that we use today, like femininity and masculinity. They're really loaded. They have, a, they have a history and they're changing in meaning. So I think just so everyone feels really comfortable using any language that they, that they want to, just interpret each of these terms how, how you would like um, and how you've kind of seen them used in the past. And um, yeah. So I just think we'll get into it with some statistics. So these are actually from 2021. I'll leave the source in the episode description. 11% of creative directors are female, but 70% of young female creatives um, have actually never worked with a female creative director, which I think is quite shocking. And we all know that education is made up predominantly of um, female designers. So I think before we get into the hard stuff of the kind of therapy and introspection of ourselves, maybe we can chat about our experiences with female leadership or what it's been like having a having a female boss. And has that been positive, negative? Um, how have they carried themselves differently to, to working with men? I think uh, I do have quite a bit of, yeah, I guess, connection to to that topic, because absolutely, like, I, I really wish that um, that everyone could have the opportunity to to work with um, female creative directors in my career. Um, I had two that were so inspiring. And it's so interesting. The um, the first female creative director that I worked with um, was uh, was called um, Segalin Huta in, uh, in a company called Construct in London. And it was the most nurturing environment that I could ever, I, it was a dream to work there. You know, everyone felt heard and safe and we finished work at five and it was just so easy. And, you know, learning from, from that experience, it really inspired me to, to know, I guess, like what kind of environment did I want to create in a, in a design, you know, industry. And it's interesting comparing to previous spaces that I worked before it was so refreshing because there wasn't this, you know, competition. There wasn't this expectation that everyone had to be bold and, and confident and, you know, to help to have a healthy competition, um, you know, like, and the critiques were so um, constructive and um, respectful. And that's something that I really um, admire, like, and I'm, I'm so grateful to have had that, that experience. Yeah. I was just going to say that I don't think I've had any female bosses during my career, but I have worked for myself since 2007. So I, I was a, only a seven year window from graduation to um, going freelance and then running my own agency. So I ended up being a female uh, leader, but I don't think other than um, a line manager I had once called Elizabeth Wilson, who is in Sydney now. And I had a bad experience at places I worked with other women because it was so competitive. I don't know if you've ever had 
that experience yourselves in office spaces, but in the PR and marketing industry, it can be quite brutal. So we're all pitched against each other, whether deliberately or not, um, to kind of compete. And so it can become quite a toxic um, work environment quite quickly. Mm. Um, and I don't know whether you have similar stories, but 20 years ago, my goodness, when I tell some young women what I put up with back then, they just, they cannot believe, well, they can believe it, but they cannot believe it because it just wouldn't, it wouldn't stand today. Mm. What about and, you, Rebecca? Have you had female leadership yeah, in the past? I've had the luck, but also I think the, almost the skewed perspective of having the majority of my bosses be female. And I'm thinking in the sort of 10 to 15 numbers. Um, I started my working life off completely outside of the design industry as a funeral director. And my boss then was a woman and it was me, her and one other woman amongst about 40 men. And I kind of learnt very much that you're put in a box at that point in time and you have to fight for those kind of things. But the competitiveness that you've just talked about, Katie, I recognised it mm. there and I was only in my really early 20s where it's just like I always wanted to progress. I loved that job and I always wanted to make more money and everything else in that sense. Um, but naturally I was trying to go forth and it was very much saying stay in your stay in your lane you're a younger than me and this is my position and I'm the only female senior and she wasn't going anywhere and she made sure she wasn't going anywhere and that's mm. I underst can understand in that environment but jumping forwards though my first job going into the creative industries a really good friend of mine Kerry Kennedy was an art worker at an agency in Brighton and she just brought me under her wing and showed me a completely opposite direction of that so she very much said, go for it, go for it, girl. And my first art director was a woman. The studio was run by women. And it was such a polar, diverse range of experience that I think mm -hmm. that's kind of the angle that I feel like you have to be wary to say all oh, women are nurturing and amazing as, as leaders and as senior people to look up to. And I think over my career, that's what I've recognised, because especially in the, when I've been in the professional creative arena, it's been very polar. It's, it's, I can't say confidently that it's been very much brilliant all the time and every leader has mm. been nurturing because they certainly haven't, so. Why do you think that um, that first kind of female leader that that you worked mm. with was so defensive? Is it, uh, there's this kind of underlying feeling that women are a threat to each other in those spaces. So why, why do we think that is? I hypothesizing entirely, I'll caveat it with that, but my thoughts thinking about it years later, I think that when you fight so hard for something and you've battled through things as the first in an industry, so in the area that we worked in, she was the first female senior leader and first female director. And I think she's she fought incredibly difficult, like difficult mm -hmm. battles to get there. And she wanted to protect that position. And I can understand when you are, like Katie, you said at the very early end of your career, some of the stories that you have, you'd be aghast. And I think she went through an awful lot, an awful lot to get to where she was. Um, and I, I can understand it, but also you don't diversify if you block all of the barriers after you. Mm -hmm. So I think protectiveness, yes. Yeah, I think you don't realise, do you? He kind of... 20 years ago just didn't think about it and now it's only mm. just occurred to me in the last couple of years all the things that I've had to sort of go through <laughs> and mm -hmm. put up with. Yeah. So Katie I just wanted to ask you've mentioned that you've had quite a lot of struggles and battles to get where you are does that make you uh, supportive of other women or do you feel like you haven't seen what I've seen you don't you weren't there you don't know what it was like <laughs> do you have any of that kind of defensive protective attitude that we've that we've all kind of seen elsewhere no I don't think so um I've, I've kind of always thought there's enough space for everyone um and the whole sort of point of the platform that I'm running is to sort of lift other people up um I get to have this amazing career where I just support creative people and I get so much job satisfaction out of that so it's kind of not in my nature if that makes any sense I grew up mm. in a kind of family where um, we did lots of volunteering when we were growing up and um, I just get a lot of satisfaction out of helping others. I've just never been a jealous person um, and I've never sort of allowed those experiences to make me bitter in any way. If anything, it kind of makes me want to do more to help others, to try and lift others up. But what I have done wrong 
is it's only been the last couple of years that I've confided with other women. Could you believe? Mm. <laughs> Jack, I just wanted to chat about uh, you've obviously been in before you ran your own studio, you were in other studio environments. Did you have female leaders or female role models? And did you think I'm going to model myself exactly on them and how they carry themselves and handle themselves? Uh, there was there were some female leaders, not many, um, and no, I didn't think I would ever model myself on them because I could see the sacrifice that they made in their uh, lives in order to be able to be in that position. So it was the exact opposite, actually, of what I wanted to model myself on and what I would want uh, for other women coming up behind me. Was, uh, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of sacrifice, a lot of, you know, um, you could never have children, basically, in, in a role like that. It, it would be totally impossible to manage that. And there, mm. and there was no one in any senior positions that were women that had any children. Mm. Um, so there was no, um, uh, yeah, there was definitely not a benchmark set there. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that kind of modelling and whether we did or didn't have role models. Um, so you're starting to think about becoming a leader yourself and what I'm hearing in the DMs is that kind of really tense moment when you're jumping from being on the tools to being a leader in those rooms you do have to code switch a little bit and you do have to alter how you're maybe how much you would usually speak or the jokes you would usually laugh at in order to kind of help you make that leap into those kind of management and more senior positions so I feel like we might all have some stories about that. Um, Rebecca, why don't you kick us off? Do you think there have been moments when you've been quite inauthentic in any of those spaces? Yeah, I'm laughing because I'm just saying, yeah, 100%. Um, and I think going back a little bit, I'm not going to give you my whole life story, but I grew up in a very matriarchal family. My nana is Italian and or was Italian, bless her. And it's always been the women that ran the family in the sense of they lead. They were leaders and we still are. Um, we have brilliant male relationships in our families, fantastic, supportive, amazing, but we just, everybody does everything. So mm. when I, and that as an environment growing up was just normal. That's, I knew nothing else. So when you pick that kind of attitude up, and if you can tell by my accent, I grew up in the north of England, I'm right up in Cumbria. If you pick that up and then I went down to London at 18, and started to work my way into industry, all of a sudden, the way that I'd been brought up was actually a problem. I was very assertive. I was very much like, well, I should get my own way. Why is being a woman the negative? And why am I seen as different? Because I'd never actually, as a woman, been seen as different amongst my kind of unit and my upbringing. So especially going into, let's say, the senior part of my career as I switched from contributor to leader, where I was expected to speak on behalf of companies or speak to CEOs, CMOs, all of a sudden, my accent disappeared. I spoke slower. I My arms calmed down because I usually speak with my arms. I do now again. But it's like I, everything, my hair calmed down a lot. And it was just like I hid behind so much. And I actually become, mm. it's actually the opposite here. I become more feminine in what a traditional sense of femininity is. If you wrote the stereotype of femininity down, <laughs> if I can even say it, <laughs> I try to become more like that. Like I haven't worn heels in my life. Like I'm always on a road bike, I'll wear boots, I'll go running, that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden I had a pair of heels and developed a bunion. And it's one of those things that you just got all of a sudden in my life, I've completely <laughs> changed to be and try to emulate what I would see as other female leaders around me, but that wasn't my personality. Mm. So mm. I definitely lost the essence of what made me actually good at my job. And I lost mm. the confidence. I lost my personality entirely. And I even started wearing things, just daft things like colour and flowers and stuff. And it was, it was, I recognise that looking back at photographs and everything of when I was like manager for the first time. Um, and it's sad, really. I think that's um, the opposite for mo to most people. Yeah. I think often people dial in those, mm. those kind of traditionally seen as feminine cues. Uh, Livia, I feel like maybe you had a moment in your career where you were kind of dialing back from some of those stereotypes a little bit to be taken a little bit more seriously um yeah so when i when i started my my career i was living in auckland um uh, new zealand and my my first job was in a big brand agency and um you know i i'm a female i'm, I'm an immigrant i'm from brazil 
And uh, yeah, like there was a, a strategy director that, you know, w was asking like where, where I was from. And I said, um, I'm from Brazil. And he had a lot of stereotypes of, you know, to say of what he thought about Brazilian women. And I was, I was terrified and um, I was very ambitious. And at that point, I thought that, you know, I was very young and um, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite, quite embarrassed of saying this today, but I just thought, thought that I had to um, get rid of any kind of, you know, femininity that could, I guess, like get myself into that stereotype. And I started to dress um, quite androgynously, you know, like very, I don't know, like what a English designer would look like. And, you know, like I started to, <laughs> to put my hair up and like, and yeah, like I'll, I'll feel very uncomfortable with my head down. And I tried to, you know, to, to take away anything in, in, in my looks that could elude that. And I feel like I, I, I lost myself a lot um, and I lost my authenticity by doing that um, and mm -hmm. trying it, trying to, to act like a man, like a, like a, like an English bold creative director. <laughs> you know, I had like, and I had the, the people that I wanted to learn from all like European centric, you know, males. And I had my plan. I had the places that I wanted to study and I built my whole kind of career around that, which is, um, the opposite of what I'm trying to do today. Um, yeah. And I mm. think it was only through, I guess, like teaching, um, and, you know, like working with students that I get so much satisfaction out of that. I saw like, yeah. And through, through all the, um, female, I guess, um, examples in, in, in my career that I looked up to that I found, um, yeah, the, the type of leader that I, that I wanted to, to be and that, yes, like I can actually create like really collaborative spaces that everyone feels heard um, and you can still lead without having to be an ass basically <laughs> you know like you can, you can lead with, with, with kindness um, you can lead and being like you know quite quite um, constructive um, yeah so mm. it has been a journey uh, yeah. yeah and I'm definitely you know like um, I guess like I don't want any other female designers to feel what I what I what I felt and had to like yeah let go of what is true and unique about their their identity to to succeed in, in this industry basically yeah what about you Katie do you look back on any any standout moments when you think wow who who is she and why was she why was she behaving like that mm. in that specific situation or what was it about it that made me feel like I had to code switch yeah, I can relate to Livia's story, actually. I remember I was at a Christmas party once for a company I was working for quite a long time ago. And I was talking to a director and I was keen, I was new to the company. And he said, um, you're doing absolutely amazing, Katie. And then he looked at my chest because I had a low cut dress on. Nothing too revealing or ridiculously sexy, which why do I even need to say that? And he said, and by the way, you've got fantastic tits. Mm. And I sort of went, oh, and, you know, you're 20 something, you're, you're really young and you're kind of like, oh, well, that's interesting. And then I think there was a kind of switch around that time where I just started covering myself up, wearing, you know, dressing like a boy, basically wearing kind of very practical, boring, well, a bit like this, really, <laughs> <laughs> just kind of making myself not feminine in any way, shape or form. So I wouldn't attract attention. And it's funny because I, it only occurred to me recently how much I've been dressing this way my whole life, um, just to sort of avoid attention, just to sort of fit in, just to not cause any kind of fuss. Um, and I was on the plane coming back from a recent holiday and I was wearing a low cut top and there was this man just staring at my chest. And I was like, what? I was looking behind me like this. I was like, what is he looking at? And, and then it occurred to me that it was the first time in probably, well, probably since that time, that I'd seen a bloke looking at my chest because I've just been covering myself up my whole life. Um, it's absurd. And and it's only recently, like I say, that I think, well, why do I have to dress like that? Sod it, you know. I wanna I wanna embrace who I am and and you know, all the complications that it comes with with being a woman, but why should I cover myself up? Why should I change who I am? So it's all very raw yeah. and dare I say it, new and um 
mm. slightly exciting as well. I'm like mm. wearing red lipstick again and I'm I'm loving Jack's shade and I'm mm. going to have to ask her where she got it from afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to I'm going to move on to you Jack actually because you've just come from your own admission from building a well. Um, and I think you describe yourself as a bit of a bit of a tomboy anyway. So have you always dressed in a way that makes people feel slightly more comfortable with you? And do you think that that's part of the reason that you succeeded and moved so far up? Not saying you didn't work hard, but does that kind of attribute to some of your success? Um I'm going to say that hard work contributed to the success, but I think, you know, some experiences along the way, uh, I don't, I've, like you say, I've always been a tomboy. I mean, I spent my, la, la, my most of my last agency in football tops and you know jeans. I've never wore a dress ever unless it was like a big fancy do. Um, I kind of had sort of a bit different experiences in you know definitely dressing up for meetings and things like that. And obviously, I wouldn't be wearing a football top going to a meeting. You know, I mean, they were vintage football tops. It was very cool, and. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I experienced things like, you know, people bringing me in outfits, more feminine outfits to wear to meetings um, to say, you know, maybe you would want to wear this. Um, I'm like, why? And I understand uh, you want people to look smart. You don't want somebody to look like a student. You want them to make it. You want them to look like they're worth their money and they have the experience that they're doing. And I'm sure maybe a football top would maybe give it off that student vibe. But I often find that found and find that with clients, it's not necessarily how you're dressed. It's your confidence as a person mm. and, and and whether you can answer their problem and their solution that they find attractive. And it's it's that confidence and that what I've been, you know, that feistiness that kind of have ended up with many a hand on the knee and, uh, and meetings and, and many a, you know, kind of flirtatious, comment and things like that do you know what I mean and, and it's never been because I've been sitting there with any low-cut gear on it's been because I've actually stood my ground and arguing a point and and that seems attractive to men quite often men in power and mm. um and I don't know if they want they would they think that they can maybe be get me a bit more subservient to them or you know but I've had the kind of like oh feisty oh you know uh, we'll love it and uh, you know let's let's meet for drinks I want to hear more what's in your brain and things like this do you know what I mean so I think you get it from all angles you get it whether it's like tits and ass or whether you get it that you've got like an interest in mind you know it's just kind of like you're just not you're never you're just asked questions that people just wouldn't ask a man you know like like, you know, what, what, is the, what is the relevance of this? I was, you know, what I was, is, what, what, what's your point? Yeah, I was in a meeting with a client um, many years ago and it was an a, a, um, all-male company. They'd um, very successfully launched a supercar club in um, the, an area where I grew up. I have to be careful. And um, they wanted <laughs> to launch a female-only car marketplace. So like a, an auto trader for women. So they just found me and I, I sort of went along and um, I was lacking in confidence at the time. It was just when I'd gone freelance. So I invited um, somebody I barely knew, um, an older man who ran an a SEO agency. And um, we went in and did this meeting and I lit it was absolutely absurd. They brought a woman into the room. They were planning to launch a female business aimed at women and they just patronised me, laughed at me. Um, and to cut a long story short, the SEO guy won the client <laughs> and pushed me aside. And I never saw or heard from him again. Mm. And um, I just got laughed out the room. And I was just trying to sort of point out some of the things they wanted to do and why, you know, it might not be very wise to patronize women on a website and assume that they didn't know anything about cars, but they just kind of laughed me out the room. So, yeah, I agree. It's kind of, it doesn't matter how you dress, whether you um, have something interesting to say at some point, there's always going to be that backlash uh, because you're a woman. Um, it's very frustrating. Mm. Yeah, you're, you're always um, have to sort of doubly prove your worth. Yeah. And uh, in, in situations, mm. which is a sort of sad state of affairs, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Um, I genuinely think there's some issues with um, maybe an older generation as well who genuinely don't know how to relate to women or speak to women. And they've mm -hmm. only ever spoken to them in a kind of secretarial uh, mm. sort of mm. um, sense before. And they, they, they kind of think that 
um, I'll be flattering you if I give you a pat on the bum, you know what I mean? Or, you know, you'll like that, or you'll like it if I say you've got nice tits. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, no, I'd actually like it if you just paid your invoice, thanks. <laughs> I think that's it. I, I definitely think, and it's a scarcity thing as well. Like, it, what you've just said there, Jack, about generations, when if you're one, a one of one or one of two pe- women in a room amongst 10, 11 men, a lot of the time the experience of dealing with a woman in any shape or form, whatever they're wearing or however they behave, is rare. And I found, like, from my experience when I was talking earlier, like, tomboy is probably how I would define me as well. Like, my sister and I would ride around on skateboards and all sorts of stuff and dig holes, etc. Very stereotypical stuff there, but it's, hopefully you'll get the picture. But what would happen is it'd feel like I'd assimilate into the lads' gang and then they would forget that I was a woman and say something just mm. way beyond what was okay to say mm. in front of a woman, and it would be locker roomy. And I, if you might have to put an e on the e on the podcast here, but what I remember distinctly I someone, there. yeah, someone, someone mm. distinctly. Of, we were joking about, but well, I wasn't, but they were joking about somebody um, being quite uptight, and the words were, "Well, we'll just send ex designer to go and shag her then." And mm. I just went, this is not it. This mm-hmm. is the locker room kind of banter that slips out when you mm. don't realise there are people in the room that are it's not okay. It's not okay when I'm, I'm not in the room. It can go too far as well if you assimilate, is my point, I think. Mm. I have um, I have worked for um, a creative director that, and again, like, Today, like I would not have just just listened. Um, it was a new job, and I was just so, I guess, shocked by what was going on in the studio. Like I always, you know, wanted to to work there. Um, yeah, they they did amazing work, and then starting to starting, uh, the 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 owner, like the 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 creative director, would make all these comments as as jokes but like even say things like you know like um yeah like uh i don't i don't think that there's any good um female designers like i wish they would um i could have hired only men and be like just you know just the the lads drinking beer uh yeah just just and even i can't like yeah like just being dropped home once like he was commenting on the way that women were dressed walking and making derogatory comments about them and it was just it was just so shocking like it was just obviously I didn't work there for for, for a very long time uh but just to to imagine that 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 actually happens um you know and it was like mm-hmm. la- less than 10 years ago so in these moments are we have we spoken up or we're like oh we're in the room they think I'm one of the boys I've made it. I'm just going to keep my head down, which is very much like I'm looking out for myself in this moment. Um, or have you kind of stuck your neck above the parapet and said that's really inappropriate? Or you know, just looking back on those moments, do you have like, oh, I really wish that I'd said something then? Absolutely, absolutely. And back then, I think like I, I couldn't. Like I didn't have. I don't know the the confidence, the the experience, and I think it was just the the shock factor as well. Like um, I think because I was young and I really wanted to work there, and just such a, a, a like an awful environment. And I think I felt really intimidated, and I can I can understand like you know <laughs> in terms of women that had been to traumatic experiences, not and not being able to speak up at that time. But today, absolutely, absolutely, like I have no fear of. Um, being on someone's bedside, I have no fear. Like, um, yeah, and and I do it with, in the right time, in the appropriate time, and I do it with kindness because that's that's who I am as well. So I actually, you know, had to, in a in a work environment, you know, people have been t- telling me to to put people in that place so they respect me, and I would say that no, that I'm not willing to um, change my personality to adapt to a work culture that I don't think it's healthy. Um, Yeah, so Mm -hmm. definitely speaking up, but speaking up in in my own terms and and how I do it in a way that is authentic to me. Anyone else got any experiences they look back on of rooms and conversations that they wish they'd handled a bit differently? Definitely, yeah. I've been a bit of a coward, really. I think if anything happened now, I'd definitely call people out and speak up. But 
Um, yeah, there's been many moments. Um, I remember talking to a potential new client um, and it was very clear that I'd won the account um, and won them over. It was two gentlemen that were starting, funny enough, another um, car-related um, business. And um, they both sort of said, so um, if, you're, if we're going to go ahead with you, which is the case, um, can we just sort of... Uh, you know, get it confirmed from you that you're, um, you know, um, not going to. Um, so I sort of looked at them both and I sort of was figuring out what they were saying. And I was like, what you're trying to ask me is, am I going to have children in the next year or two? That's what you're trying to ask me, isn't it? And they just sort of looked at each other and went, well, yeah. And you think me doing that's going to impact on the project, right? And they went, well, I said, well, for your information, not that it's any of your business. And so, yeah, I suppose I did speak up, but I'm not going to have children. I've decided I don't want them. It's not for me. Um, so you not, have nothing to worry about. So anyway, I will be in touch. I'll drop you an email and I'll give you um, a quote. And then as I was driving away from this meeting, I thought, what am I doing? So it was more about the actions that I took afterwards, I think, throughout my career, rather than speaking up at the time. Um, I sent them an email and gave them what I like to call, um, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. My fuck off <laughs> rate, which was too expensive for them to go for. Um, and, you know, it was it was very satisfying. And I've had other moments. There was a, another a client that, well, a new director came in for a client I'd been working for for a long time. And he put, at the end of the meeting, he was a bit of a creep, actually. Well, he was a massive creep. He put his hand on the base of my back and the top of my ass and said to me something like, so can we do a buy one, get one free then? If I sort of got you this other client in, mm -hmm. could we sort of like reduce the cost? And, you know, there, it was almost like, there's a good girl, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And again, I didn't speak up. I didn't turn around to them and say, what are you doing? Why have you got your hand on my ass? <laughs> this is absurd. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just mm -hmm. ended up carrying out the action afterwards so bit of a coward but yeah plenty of times when I've just gone actually I have integrity and this could end up being a really good contract but nah I'm just not going to work with this person <laughs> it's, 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 it's difficult to do isn't it when um yeah you're kind of sort of in the heat of the moment when you're pitching for work you know you've got wages to pay of other people you're relying on getting that business and you're in a situation where you have to make a split decision on how you're going to react and respond and whether you just kind of go <laughs> and sort of like giggle it off and yeah. say, not, say, say nothing or whether you kind of like, you know, read the riot act, flip the whole room upside down and go like, ah, fucking fuck, you know, it's like kind of, you know, but, um, you know, I often do it with just maybe like, a, a try and do it with a bit of humour, you know, of, and yeah. sort of coming my way of sort of, sort of suggestive or, or comments or something, you know, it's sort of like, I'm like, yeah, because, you know, my ass looking good in these jeans makes these ideas better. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, obviously, obviously that's how it works. But doesn't it make you angry? Doesn't it make you angry when you think of the amount of wimp, the amount of things women will have missed out on or turned down because of these things? It just makes me so gross. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it does. It, it does. And it's kind of like, well, who needs to change here? You know, um, yeah. you know, whose behaviour are we talking about? You know, it's uh, there's conditioning there that is going to take a lot of time to to wheedle out. And it's like, well, we don't have time to wait for that shit. You know, so it's like, right, what, what do we do in the meantime? And in the meantime, I think all we can do is... Uh, try and find ways, however it works for you, whether that's aggressively through humour or through just ignoring it, of making the point that the conversation that you're having is about business. Mm -hmm. It is about concepts, mm -hmm. it is about business, it is about rates, it is about um, in whatever the situation is, it's not about what I'm wearing and do I want to go for a drink later. Uh, you know, and there's, that'll, that'll be um, different for for everyone, you know, I hope with, um, I, I, I've always had um, women in my team and I hope that I'm a good, I'm a decent role model at least for them and how to, how to act in that situation, you know, but I have, I have felt humiliated in the past before where, you know, clients have taken my hands in meetings and things like that and, 
um, like pulled my hands across the table and talked about my nail polish and things like this. Do you know what I mean? And I've mm. had to be like, yeah, well, all, you know, all the better for scratching your your face. Do you know what I mean? Or whatever, you know. And, and I wish somebody had the magic uh, scenario of this is how one should deal with that. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. Jack, I've got. A, I've got a question a for you. If you were in a meeting and you saw a client acting that way towards one of your younger female team members, would you react in the same way? Would you laugh it off or would you have a different... I don't mean laugh it off because I don't think that's what you do, but would you react with humour or do you think you'd have a different reaction if you were watching it kind of as, and it wasn't happening to you? I think it has happened. I've watched it and um, and I've intervened in a, um, in a way where... But the same situation with this nail polish scenario was going around this table, and and I have seen the client take the hand of one of my staff, and I have said, um, "X name, uh, why don't you like why why don't you let go of um, her hand so that she can actually use her pen to come up with some better ideas?" Yeah, you know. So I'm not aggressive. I'm trying not to be aggressive about it, but trying to be clear what I'm meaning. In in all of like. How many times this seemed to have happened um, to you, Jack? And the fact that you had to come up with different strategies of, like, you know, in in different situations to to learn how to deal with that is just it is it, 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 it just amazes me, you know, because it's it's so unacceptable what we what we go through. Yeah. If we go back to the arc of the podcast and kind of look at it as a if I was speaking to one of my mentees coming into the industry, I think the important thing is, is recognizing when you are being forced to change your behavior because of the bad behavior of somebody else, whether that's a male or a female. Because I'm, I'm, I know it's walk like a man, but there are females that will assimilate into male dominated cultures in large and small businesses. Act like men and you will not realize, and I've been there myself until far too late, that they're actually doing the when you're having kids what you're doing there and you're, they're considering promotions and everything else in the back of their head. So I think the most important thing is recognizing when someone is behaving to you because you're a woman in a specific way. And I think, and we don't have time definitely to wait for males to be brought up in a different way because people are coming into the industry now. So if we as leaders, as where we all sit in where we are in our jobs can at least help the younger women that are following us really closely to recognize what's not okay. And to tell them like, if someone looks at your chest, like you were talking about Katie, they look at your chest and you're comfortable with that top, wear it and tell them to stop bloody staring as opposed to changing your personality and you feeling uncomfortable for it. When you're completely and like authentically yourself, you can lead better because you're not bloody distracted by trying to act a different way to what you actually are. Yeah, yeah, but it's hard work. It's hard work. Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm going to change the topic slightly. We've talked a lot about how we present ourselves, how we look, how we present ourselves in our actions. I want to talk a little bit about how we present ourselves in design. So actually the first time I spoke to Rebecca, we messaged on Twitter and your logo is, because uh, I hate to use these words and I really try to avoid them when I'm describing design, but it's pretty masculine. Um, also, Jack, you've mentioned being called Jack. It's an androgynous name. Katie, you have the frontage of creative boom. So uh, how do we present ourselves in design contexts that make us maybe feel less feminine or maybe we're intentionally shielding the fact that we're that we're women if that's what's happening I haven't really thought about it if I'm honest I think with creative boom it's quite different because it started from a place of supporting the creative industry we're a community we're really friendly we're not we try not to be you know an exclusive club we welcome everyone let's take that and create a little character that might not necessarily be male or female or you know we we, we just kind of we're getting across that kind of sentiment that we're friendly and fun and don't take ourselves too seriously. So I don't mm. think it really plays a part, but I've, it's a really good question because I've never really thought about it. When I look at the but creative he, beam eyes, I, I just see them as a, I just see it as the community, as the sort of warmth yeah. and the friendly space that we're trying to sort of continue. So I guess, Rebecca, you're. I, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say here. Do you yeah. think it's intentionally that your kind of studio frontage and your creative frontage 
really doesn't feel very feminine. Yeah, I think it's unintentional because I would say that is probably the most authentic thing that I could put myself out there as. Um, I Mm. definitely, and this is post-rationalisation entirely because it's only something that you realise like as you go forth, is that up until this point, I've been really reluctant to put this face on anything. Not that I have an issue with my face, but the fact that it's a woman. I do think that the way that I present the, I mean... I'm a bit, I'm very goth. This is just me in my essence. I've been that way my whole life, so is my whole family. Um, But it's an invisibility cloak that I have on. I think the kind of be good and shut up about it window that my nanny used to drum into me, it's kind of like do the work, do it well and let that speak and then have yourself pulled back. So there is a culture in me there, but there is a protective Mm -hmm. cloak where I'm not putting too much of myself out there because I don't, that's a really sacred space for me. And because there are, there is elitism and because there are barriers and because it's really bloody hard to often operate as you in an industry fully, I don't want that nipped Mm -hmm. at because I'm kind of like the confidence that you build is really important. So I do think I do have a clock on. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Even, even at work, if you look at the Slack channels that I used to purvey, I'd always hide behind RH as a symbolism instead of my name and stick a black flag emoji up as if rather than say things words wise, you know? So, mm. yeah, I do think, I do think so. It is hiding, but kind of professional hiding is what I would say. Yeah, right. Mm. Whereas, Jack, you're the opposite of that. You put your name on the door, mm. you wear stripes, your website is stripes, you know, you and the studio are one. Um, but am I going to ask this question? Maybe. If your name wasn't Jack, would you still feel the same way? I mean, how can you ever mm. imagine that? But because it um, it isn't hugely indicative of like who you are as a person, so does that make it easier to kind of lean into it? It, it probably does. It probably, you know, already plants that seed in people's mind that I'm going to be a certain way of choosing that name or, or choosing to be known as that as a woman. Um, so it probably does make it a bit easier to... Uh, be myself a bit because uh, I, you know I, I, I definitely identify as a woman I'm not trying to be a man I just happen mm-hmm. to be very lazy and can't be arsed and Jacqueline and mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I'll abbreviate anybody's name to anything do you know I mean <laughs> it's the shortest mm-hmm. possible um, but I do think it's it's a it's a choice of to use that name and in, in order to let people know who I am and what I'm a, and a bit of what I'm about. I know it doesn't do that hugely, but I think it, it comes with a perception that oh right, you I must have a bit more masculine tones about me. I'm not going to be flouncy. I'm not going to be dressed in flowers and things like this. You know, um, I think it lets people know that quite quickly. Um, I think um, an interesting question to Katie would be if the eyes of Creative Boom had had. Um, mascara and eyeshadow on whether um, it would have been it would be a great test wouldn't it to see if um mm. if it would have the respect that it does have you know if people kind of were immediately understanding that this is a, a woman's voice that's coming back to me and whether folk would have uh, responded a bit differently to that you know mm. and I, I can only i can only think they would have and it would have taken you longer and harder to have con- convinced people otherwise because it's quite, you know, the, the perception is there, the baggage is there of um, getting over that hill that female equals strong, female equals a, a good opinion, female equals value. And um, I, I think that's something that we're, we're battling and going to be battling for a long time. Yeah. I've got a couple of questions I want to make sure we, we get through. So, um, I think this is it's complicated, but obviously being a woman is very intersectional. So women of colour, queer women, disabled women. Is this a white woman first movement? We're looking across to creative leaders and we are seeing lots of white female creative leaders up there with the white male creative leaders. And is it easier to assimilate being um, being that leader because we're white women pretending to be white men, a bit like you chatted about, Livia? Um, I guess, do you think that that's almost like the first, the first wave and the fact that you actually were um, assimilating being a, a European white man rather than... Um, I just think that's super interesting. 
Um, yeah, I think it's it's quite interesting the the layers, I guess, of of bias. Um, for me, definitely um, being Brazilian, it's something that uh, plays plays a big part um, for like just the the you know the the fact that English is my second language, and you know people really distrust that as well. So you have the you know the the female. And then, like, yeah, I've, I've applied for jobs, even though you know I have a I have a master's degree, like, um, and you know, just asking a, a recruiter, like, can can she write, you know, like, just um, and things like also with my accent um, as well. Like, I think it's it's very cultural and so so interesting because I've worked in in many different countries, and and being from Brazil means very different things to very different people. So I talked about the experience in um, New Zealand, but when I moved to the US, like I didn't have this experience living in, in Australia. I haven't, didn't have this experience being in, in the UK. But as soon as I um, moved to America, I was putting the Latino um, bucket and that kind of prejudice came um, as well. And it, it was new to me because I was never being treated differently from, from being from Brazil, at least that I knew of. And then out of the sudden, and I was a, a female from Brazil, and I was an art director, and I was asked, um, yeah, that someone else would present my work um, to, you know, to certain clients because they were like huge American, um, you know, like Midwest clients, and and I I, I let them, yeah, you know, and uh, it's something that I also like and am, am quite. Um, I would have acted quite quite differently um, um, today. But even things like you know, you you start a new job, and people come to you and say like, "This is how it's done in America." What what country are you from? It's like Russia, or you know, like because you have an accent. And yeah, so it's there's a whole bunch of other other battles um, that that plays that I that I had to go through. I guess even though I I look white, but my my voice is very different. Um, so there's this whole new other aspects between, yeah, like there's like a movement for 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 white, um, um, of course, like females, and then like you you get into, of course, like being more inclusive of of people um, like of color, but then there's also immigrants, and there's this whole like big, I guess, mash of um, issues that we're dealing with, and it's so layered. And everyone has their own personal experience, and yeah, it can be really tricky. Mm. Yeah, I think I think you know we're we're kind of like on the baby steps movement towards female equality. We're sort of bigger steps on race and uh, gender, mm -hmm. and uh, many other aspects: equality, disability. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, th th there's there's um, sort of huge steps to to finding. A way forward for all for all kind of minorities in the industry. We are kind of the first to the forefront, being white women in the industry, mm -hmm. and and because we come from uh, not privileged backgrounds by any means, but a society where studying art and design is acceptable as a career path, where there's a lot of um, many different cultures who don't respect that as a career path so the parents don't actually encourage it you know they would rather they became doctors and lawyers and more academic academic um, fields of study so I think in order to almost kind of like change the face of the argument uh, it will take a while before um, people are coming through and coming up and in, in leadership roles uh, who are of different race and backgrounds uh, and gender neutrality and disability and all of these things um you know hopefully it won't take as long for those guys it's like you know start cutting a path and it makes it easier for folk to slot in um i think that you know the first step is it really is chipping away at people's mindset to think why am i prejudging people in the first place and what the hell has that got to do with their creative ability I, th I think as well like it starts in um design education you know so you go to university and you you know you you're taught a very um male european centric history um that you know it was it was um curated and i think like yeah one one of the things that i always um advocated in, in my work and in my research is you know like a, a graphic design history that is 
nationalized, that the, the criteria is different. It's people that were impactful in their own country, in their own nations. And then when you look at design history in that way, uh, there's so many amazing, different, diverse um, graphics that, that, that appears. Um, you know, the first, the, the, the very facts that we don't um, learn about, uh, you know, graphic design history, starting with First Nations design, it's, it's crazy to me, um, you know, just embracing our mm -hmm. own roots and our own um, um, ancestry. So there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, room, I guess, for, I guess, like, if you, if you want to change people's mindset, you like, we, we have to look at how we are um, educating students as well in our industry. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Which is part part of the exposure, isn't it? You know, if those people, if great work isn't being exposed, then people are not aware of it, and they're not going to teach it. And um, mm. you know, we're you know, hopefully, social media is starting to become much more of a leveler and mm. gives people choice of what they're yeah. actually learning and what they're exposed to, and they can they can choose to follow not just the the white European man path. Jack, I love what you said about um, carving a path out for people behind mm. us. You know, that's mm. that's kind of my mission. <laughs> mm. It's so wonderful when we share different people from all walks of life and backgrounds on Creative Boom and um, just just being able to sort of do something, albeit small, um, so that that person might be able to then share that um, on their portfolio. And, you know, even just the little SEO benefit that they get from being on our platform these days. I mean, this site's been going for 13 years. So um, one of my friends who's an SEO chap said that a link on my site's worth £5,000. <laughs> so that's <laughs> quite nice. <laughs> so, you know, making a small difference and just exposing different voices. And yeah, if anyone's I... watching this, we're, we're desperately looking for different writers. So... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Katie. Um, no, Re Rebecca, were you gonna were you gonna add something just before I ask my final question? Yeah, really briefly. I think the path thing is a brilliant analogy, and I think that path needs to be incredibly wide. And I think it is a position of privilege. The white women wave it will kind of blend and it'll go faster. But I think we have to very, very quickly open doors, take risks, and it's and by risks I mean that we need to choose the people that we think we can bring along with us, elevate above us and posh. Mm. Amazing. Okay, so I'm going to ask everyone to answer this question. The title of the episode is Walk Like a Man, Talk Like a Man. Uh, obviously, there are no men present here. What can, what do we want to see from the men in these creative spaces that stops them from putting the pressure on the women that they're working with to fall in line with them and fall in line with their ways of working and how they create relationships. So I guess that's what do we want to see moving forward, not just what we can do and how we can edit our behaviour and how we change and what they can do to stop women from feeling like they need to do that. I'm going to put Katie on the spot. You can go first. <sighs> oh, gosh. Right. Well, first of all, most of the men um, I come across and work with are wonderful and supportive and I've had really good um, experiences across the board um, but I think just oh, I hate this phrase recognize your privilege as a man you do you do have an easier start so I would kind of just say just try and sort of put yourself in the shoes of us and and see what kind of barriers we've faced and the obstacles we've still yet to overcome and um, just give us a break, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, the thing that I see consistently from some men, not all men, um, is that um, I tend to get this, you know, I'll get an email if I've done something slightly wrong on Creative Beam and they'll sort of like say something and they'll do it in a sort of jokey way. And then when I sort of go back to them and say, oh, well, thank you very much, um, you know, and but, you know... <laughs> they'll say, oh, I was only joking. So they kind of pat you on the head and patronise you and then they gaslight you. So if anybody's watching this who is a man, happens to be, you know, identifying as a man, please just know that, you know, we don't, we do actually know what we're doing. <laughs> we're trying our very best. You know, we're human mm. and we're going to make mistakes. It would just be really nice because I've never had that from another woman, actually. It would just be really nice to just sort of be 
don't just be sort of lurking in the bushes, waiting to leap out and say, oh, you did, a, you did something wrong there. You made mm. a mistake. Oh, right. Okay. Well, where were you when I was doing something right? So yeah. I think that's what I would say more than anything. Just try and think about that the next time you want to have a bit of banter, whether that's laced with positivity or whether there's an underlying negativity that involves basically patting us on the head. And, you know, please, yeah. please don't patronise me and say it's just a joke because we both know it's not. And anyway, that's all I'd say. Just give me a little bit oh, good more respect. <laughs> As Aretha Rebecca, would say. Rebecca, how about you? It's a great, it's a great, great yeah. answer. I'm going to... Um, yeah, leap, Rebecca, leap, how about you? Yeah, leapfrog off that. I think, firstly, what you just said, Katie, says we're not terrifying. Like, women are not terrifying. Yeah. You don't have to joke. You don't have to pad anything in cotton wool. Be straightforward and to the point, but I think also in this area, we we need you. I think we we need the kind of collaboration and equal spaces to be equal. We can't police them ourselves because it becomes us and them. It needs to blend. And I think that blend needs people in the room that are willing to be challenged, but challenged in a very mature, calm and straightforward. It's not an argument it's a really comfortable criticism that makes us all better. And I think if there's anything I wish I'd had more of that is me being able to go, hey, that was a bit daft. You shouldn't have done it that way, <laughs> for a want of a better way to say it. And just to be able to ease into it in these male-dominated spaces as one or two of the women in the room to be able to criticise or challenge or improve and just allow us to do it, but also help us police it as well. We can't just do it on our own. Amazing. Mm. Uh, Olivia, how about you? Um, I think like really when I think about it, I think a lot of it is fear-based. I mean, fear of of different and fear of different not being good enough. Um, mm. And I guess like it's, it's to really search themselves for um, any like unconscious bias. I do believe that a lot of it is unconscious as well. And one thing that I just get so uh, annoyed by, you know, like if I hear another you know studio like owner or <laughs> or creative director saying that they want you know people to be always like bold and, and, and confident and, and assertive and if we want a, a space that is really um diverse you know like we need to embrace diverse personalities as well and and genders and give everyone an equal chance you know i've seen many like brilliant um, people with incredible work but not giving um, not get, have been given a job because they of of their personality of not being confident enough, although they were still you know like um uh, like in an intern level and yeah just like embracing embracing difference yeah I think um, just maybe some top tips for guys you know of think about what you're about to say run it through your mind is it something you would say to a man. Do you know what I mean just give yourself that wee bit of a filter of kind of let me just check that um, because if it's not then just don't see it you know <laughs> you know just keep it relevant keep it relevant that's not that guys can't fancy women and can't chat them up or do whatever do you know what I mean all this kind of sort of stuff it's just in a business context and in a a design context or whatever your industry is you know keep keep the the comment related to the job and not related you know just kind of maybe ask yourself you know would, would I say this to a guy if you wouldn't don't say it you know <laughs> I think like you guys are saying it's like we need guys support to do that you, you know we can't change we can't change the world ourselves and, we're, and we and we don't want an us and them situation we just want a togetherness situation um, for everyone and all we want, and I'm sure, and um, um, all all guys in the industry want as well, is great work. You know, we just want to see and be aware and be inspired about great work, and we really couldn't give a shit who created it. And you know, and that shouldn't come with any baggage or perception or surprise. Oh, that was a woman. You know, um, or any of these things. Awesome. Man, to say I didn't even get through half of my questions would be like the biggest understatement ever. We didn't even get to talk about the impact of um, of all this on, on work and we didn't get to talk about this like idea of sisterhood. And so this is definitely a, 
like a part one. I really feel mm -hmm. like we could talk about this forever. Um, but I'm going to wrap it up there because everyone's probably nodding off at this point. Um, <laughs> we've been chatting for so long. Um, you're all absolute legends. Like I knew it was going to be great, but just sharing your experiences and um, acknowledging that you're all in a place of great success and um, being really candid and authentic about the good bits and the bad bits that that led you there and what you want to see for the people kind of coming up behind you. So thank you so much, everybody. Pretty long one today. Hopefully you'll agree totally, totally worth it. You know what I'm going to say. Hit subscribe wherever you're listening. Season one, sadly, coming to an end really soon. So if you want to catch season two and get that notification when it's out, you'll have to be subscribed. Speaking of season two, I want to know what you want to hear about, who you want to hear from, leave a review with your suggestions or jump over to social media. We're at the NDA podcast and let me know. Massive kudos to Jamie Alol and Toby McLaren for today's soundtrack. Everything's being uploaded over our YouTube channel with closed captions. So that's there if you need it. And massive thanks to James from Be Heard for editing today's episode. I'm Katie Cadwell. This is NDA. Catch ya.